Welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast for our special 25th anniversary album review of Sign of the Times. Introducing everyone from left to right as usual, it's player. Shut up already, Dan. <laughs> Toe Jam. The big white rabbit's about to talk. <laughs> and Captain. Y'all. <laughs> and it's MC. I'm here back again, the four of us, to talk about another album. And MC, you're forgetting it's a 50th show. Yeah, I know. Right, right. Come on, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I should be more excited. It is our 50th show. Thank you for pointing that out, player. I can't believe it's been 50, 50 episodes. 50 yeah. years. 50 years we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> One episode a year. 50th anniversary. <laughs> yeah, it's our, it's our 50th anniversary. Forget about the 25th anniversary of Sign of the Times. I can't believe we've had listeners that have hung around for so long. Yeah, I can't. I can't believe that either. Has anyone got anything to say after 50 shows? Any um, any any general comments, opinions at all about... <laughs> go I can't believe we're still going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to go into studio rehab, I think. Yeah. You know, not release anything for a few months and see see what effect it has. Probably yeah, not just, a lot. Just <laughs> amazing. We haven't we haven't been sued. We haven't got a sued. <laughs> Captain, yet. don't jinx us. <laughs> uh, it's probably in the mail already. Don't worry. <laughs> Londell. <laughs> All right, so yeah, it's a big show. It is a big show. Thanks, player. You've you've injected some energy into all of us. I think not a problem. Fiftieth show and the twenty fifth anniversary of Sun of the Times. Welcome, everyone. We're going to go and do the usual thing. Talk about the album. We'll be doing disc one today, or sides one and two, for uh, those of you who are vinyl inclined, uh, as, uh. As, as as I am, as I recently uh, have become quite a, quite a vinyl nut, but that I'll talk about that a little bit later. Wow, this takes us back to 1987. Oh, here's the other thing you got to mention, too. What else do I have to mention? It's the 25th anniversary of Sign of the Times. We've been doing this show for 50 years, and <laughs> this is the album. Which contains the song which we got our name from. Yeah. Whoa, yes, that's right. Not that's this right. disc that we're talking Not about today. Not this particular one, but <laughs> this album. <laughs> You're right. So this is. It's all happening. Yeah, it's all happening. It's special for, for many, many reasons. So, yeah, I mean, as we were saying, 1987, this is a very um, exciting era from, from the point of view of, of what was happening in the Prince world, in Prince's creative domain. Even aside from this album release, there was just a lot going on with tours and side projects and just a very fertile ground for music and creativity and all sorts of things. So let's have a quick chat about the year, 1987, the year in music, what was happening in, in Prince's universe, and just um, you know thoughts and memories, if it extends that far. For some of us, I know it doesn't. I think I was only about three or four years old, so... But yeah, let's open up the floor. 1987, what was going on? Well, with this watching, release... I was watching Gummy Bears. <laughs> That's about all I can remember from that. I was eating Gummy Bears if you were watching them. <laughs> no, with, with this release, it was, you know, typically Prince at that time, like, very mysterious. Like, the cover's kind of blurry. There was no real promo shots, or the ones that were, were you know, there was the one of Cat holding the cloud and him near the windowsill, and he had a very different look with the glasses and the curly hair and the, you know, pigtails with the plaits, and just a really different look about it. And, you know, the first single was Son of the Times, and the video was just like like a lyric video and you know it was still very mysterious like inside the cover there was no pictures or the pictures were just of his leg and it was still all very mysterious so it really sucked you into the project and it's really cool all right i think it's um the most interesting album in terms of it's the first one outside of the revolution but it was pretty much played by the revolution (laughs) 
Yeah, and and all the history behind this album, what it was what it was going to be. It was going to be three discs. It was going to be Crystal Ball. It was going to be this. It was going to be that. There's Black Album stuff in there, and it's just this total amalgamation of everything that he was doing at the time. It's very interesting in that respect. It always makes me wonder if you know what he thinks of this as an album as it was released. Because to him, it's like probably the final like some. Yeah, he, I'm, would he be happy with it? Because it's not what he wanted to do originally. I mean, this album as it was released is what somebody else wanted, not him. Well, it was a, bit of a compromise, yeah. I mean, he would have had to agree eventually, but I'm sure he, you know, he wanted to do three disc, you know, crystal ball, and then it just sort of got chuck these songs, chuck these songs. We're not doing more than a double album. I don't know. I just wonder. Nobody thinks of the music, but just the album as it was released. I wonder how he thinks about that. Yeah, and there's also the the leftover Dream Factory tracks. So there's like, you know, there's the Dream Factory album, there's the Crystal Ball album, there's the Black album, the Camille the, album. Uh, Camille, you know, there's so many things that this album was going to be, and this is the final, you know, the final edit, I guess you could say, of the album after Parade. Yeah, almost like the creme de la creme, isn't it? I mean, you know, you had to put it on two discs or four sides, <laughs> and or condensing it to a large degree, I think, brings out the you know quality of the quantity potentially. But you know, we'll get into the song by songs. But the other thing to think about is. From my point of view, it was an interesting time, I think, in his career and a curious time in his career because really, you know, he went he went from this multi-instrumentalist, who is this guy type of situation early on his, in his career. Then he started getting some notoriety for his music and his abilities and his, you know, performances and, and his the look and, you know, it was all this big package that kind of accumulated right up until the 1999 album release where he got some with that really he kind of broke broke some some markets and he and he, you know he really broke the mold with uh, musically purple rain comes around superstar pop music superstar around the world and parade really massive shifts in direction you know new directions in music type stuff a lot of touring a lot of hype and he's really on still on that roller coaster ride i think and this is to me almost like his second massive superstar moment although it wasn't as you know if you look at album sales which shouldn't necessarily be the litmus test of whether something's good or not if you look at album sales you know it wasn't as successful obviously as purple rain and some of the other projects i think but it's a bit more expensive than the double album too Mm. like this retail like higher at a higher price than a regular album so the only people buying it would be you know the ones that are really into it yeah so you have this incredible succession from 78 to 86 and there's so much divergent and creative music that he's put out so far that I think most people or many people would have been thinking where to next you know what's what's the next possible move there's just he's done so much great work up until this point and I think he was riding the roller coaster and this was arguably another incredible peak overall you know, some would say his greatest peak, but you know, we'll get into that. So, it's interesting from I think from the point of view of the ascension of, of his career. I think if you look at the '80s, certain things, certain points in his career are marked by the albums that he released. And I think 1999, Purple Rain, Sign of the Times, for me at least, are the three key distinct markers for that, you yeah. know, for that decade period. So I think this one also is a real big symbol of his, almost like his arrival and into a sort of his mastery as an artist because everything since has always been, oh, 
you know, this compared to Sign of the Times? Is it, you know, this is the best since Sign of the Times or this is, you know, it's everything's always going back to Sign of the Times. So it's like, this is like, you know, there's many other peaks in the journey after, but it's, it's almost like there's always this perspective of, is it really the Sign of the Times? Like, it's just got that sort of it's his cultural best album since Sign stigma of the Times. Time. Yeah, st- stigma, that's a good word. It's got this thing to it. Is, is it the Sign of the Times? Cause so... Look, there's a lot. We could we could really spend the next hour probably talking about the context and you know everything surrounding the album's release and and also you know what it means to different people and and how how it was received critically, how it was received publicly, the tour behind it. But I think we'll probably get into a lot of that anyway. So instead of rambling and rambling on, why don't we go into the songs and the music? Because I, I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of this stuff will get raised <laughs> once we start talking about the music itself. So, Sign of the Times, Disc 1. From my point of view, we're, we're about to listen to Side 1, and it's track. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm going there. I have to. <laughs> the vinyl version is the... Is the um essential the version. It's the only way. It's the real it's the true album. None of the C D stuff. So, track one, the title track, Sign of the Times. Oh, Toe Jam. Oh. Give me the chocolate cake. Uh, <laughs> wow, where to begin? This song's kind of cold, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's kind of different to a lot of the opening album songs. You know, most of the most of his albums open with a sort of bright, happy song, gets you in the mood, party, whatever. This one's the complete opposite. It opens with the cold, dark song. The drum beat. It's so oh, I don't want to use the word cold again, but it's so it's so cold. It's just so straight, and it's so almost dead in terms of what it's portraying. And then over the top of that, you've got this real funky bass line and this falling melody line uh, that's sort of kind of lazy in its delivery, sort of like he's given up kind of thing. You've got the verses and he's got this sort of descending melody line and just along with the beat. And then the bass comes in and that's where he's singing the time. And so I like that sort of, it's almost call and response between the verses and the choruses. Because then the bass drops out again and he goes to the next verse. So that's that's really cool. I love the guitar all the way through the song, mainly in the left speaker. It's this real juicy, slightly distorted sound. Really cool, funky, bluesy licks going all the way through. Uh, and then at 1 minute 46, you know, the song goes to essentially what is the four chord, really standard sort of blues progression chord. But it's very dark. There's a real sort of dark, layered, undertone synth. And... It does go to the five as well, but it's it's only short, and that's where he's like, time. That's it. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's, that's the tension moment. That's the moment that you're like, oh. Yeah. And then he releases it of the time. That's really cool. I love the lyrics in the song all the way through. Uh, there's some really interesting ones. My favorite one being um, the last verse where he's like, uh, you know, we'll get married, have a baby, call him Nate if it's a boy. I think that's such a good lyric uh, just because it's like, you know, you can kind of, without being cynical, you can kind of see people doing that. It's like, I don't know what to do and, oh, well, let's just get married and have a baby kind of thing because that's what everyone else does. So I just find that so interesting, that thought. Uh, and then you've got all that percussion outro, which um, I guess it's all right for the album version, but it doesn't really add a whole lot. Uh, I like the, the sort of single video edit. That's good enough for me. But it's a really classic Big Prince song that everyone knows. And the video is cool too, and that'll do for me. Okay. Player, what are your thoughts? 
when this first came out um, back in the 80s, I remember being really impressed with the song because during that time, the 80s had this happy vibe and especially in music when this came out, there was, you know, it was a bit of a wake-up call to shake things up. You know, it was like Prince telling you what time it is because the themes in the song was what was happening in society, but people were either not addressing it or turning a blind eye to it. Things like AIDS and drug use and disasters and abuse. So, But as we've said before on this show, the song's very much a snapshot of that time. The music's very bare bones. There's a lot of reverb to give it a bit of a lost sound, especially on the vocal. You can hear the despair in his voice. As Toejam said, the snare, it's like snapping. Bass is nice and slinky. The guitar sounds are really jazzy and the little riffs thrown here and there. And that keyboard has this sublime ethereal quality that underpins the whole song, the part that comes in at Silly No when the rocket ship explodes, that part. Those keyboard chords there are really, really nice. Yeah, that's the, um, the four chord bit I was telling you about. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really, yeah. Um, the video is great on a number of levels. Firstly, it makes you focus on the lyrics of the song and really drives home the, the message. And also, people weren't making lyrical videos like that, the way you see them on YouTube and such these days. So in that regard, it was ahead of its time also. I also remember music magazines in 1987 used to have full-page ads of just the lyrics of this song and nothing else. So it's very much a focus on the words more than anything and dealing with the surrounding world. So yeah, classic track, very cool. All right, all right. Um, I might chip in briefly for this one. Yeah, you know, you guys have have already touched on the elements, the the kick and the snare and the beat and the percussion. I like I actually like that tapping percussion in the background a lot. It's very simple, I know, but you know, the the very sparse production and the synth bass with the rhythm guitar is I think it's just unique. Generally artists that would be programming on on drum machines or or doing something a little bit more electronic generally don't seem to interweave too much natural sound, and by natural sound, I mean you know, re- you know, real instruments, or at least not, not from what, what I've heard. And then he, you know, in addition to that, he's got that tambourine all the way through, and the vocal and the rhythm track together really make this song. And his voice is so haunting; it's very, um, it's very strange. And Toe said earlier that you know, that it's, it sounds quite cold, the the song itself, and I think his vocal does as well. It sounds very disc connected like a dystopian delivery almost you know he's almost he's almost desperate and and you can hear the despair in his voice but he but he keeps it together because he knows that that he has to keep it together and if you listen to the lyrics you know there's all this stuff happening in the world and he and it's really just a commentary track from from what i get out of it um i always thought the machine drums at the end i call them machine drums they're just really kind of oh i don't know thick distorted loud banging drums right at the end it to me it always sounded like people banging on the doors you know and it, it, it to me it always symbolized the sound of all the chaos and disorder pardon the pun that was that was happening outside you know outside being in society and i just think that it's a if that if that is what it symbolizes if it symbolizes anything other than you know the musical notes that the sound creates I, I think that's a really effective device you know you've got all this stuff happening in the background in the distance and you can hear it and it, it creates a very strange effect when you're listening to the song so but, I think it's almost like the whole song is kind of like dead but the only like his voice is almost dead and then there's that real bluesy guitar throughout it 
So it's like there's like the smallest signs of life in this like abyss of sadness, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and and you touch on a good point, Tojam, which is the bluesy guitar because that's exactly what it is. And you know, it's not it's not a crunchy chugging like rhythm line. It's not a jazz lick. It's this really um, you know minor key thing. He's like you know he's going for those soul notes. Mm. But further to that, like when you watch it in the Son of the Times movie, like he just you know puts the distortion pedal on and just like goes for it, and that works as well because you know you can hear like that. Um, what was the track we were reviewing last time? And we were talking about hearing the pain in the in the at the end of um, I Hate You. You know, we were talking about the passion and all that that he puts into the like you know he's lost in the relationship or whatever. The same thing in the live version of this. Like, he puts all his soul and effort into the, the, the guitar solos. And it just, like, you know, you can hear the pain in the, in the song and through that as well. Which, it, you know, you don't hear it in the original track, but in the live, it, you, like, you get that as well. Mm. Yeah, so it has, a, it has a very eerie effect on the listener at the end of the day, I think. And, um, and it's, and it's he, you know, he hasn't done anything like it since. And that's not a slight it's just it's very unique and it's a very fully realized song and what a way to open the album you just you know after this you think well what's going to come next you know i really wasn't expecting that so it's almost it's, the whole song's almost like a sigh isn't it like you, yeah. you get other songs like dear mr man which is sort of like you know of the time sort of slightly protest song but this is just the whole song's just like a oh, what's going on kind of thing mm, exactly and you know we could get into more of a discussion about what role, if any, spirituality or his particular thoughts on spirituality had to play in in this song. There's nothing overt, I don't think. Uh, I can't hear it. But the one thing that does stand out is the line about, you know, where he sings, maybe... Maybe a maybe a man will will be happy truly when a man truly dies, and I think that line is quite revealing. And uh, I'll take I'll take it to Captain now, but it's just something just something interesting to to keep in mind because there are varying opinions on on what that line could mean. But delivered by Prince, you know, you could you could argue that he's really talking about the afterlife. I'll leave it there, <laughs> Captain. Oh, well, I don't know where to start with this song. I have to say, I never really liked this song at all. I didn't like it when I first heard it, and I still don't particularly like it. Wow. I think it's a horrible song to start the album with. Ah, uh, you're just a troll. I'm just a troll. <laughs> I'm just an evil little troll saying stupid things. I understand its position in Prince history, but it just never grabbed me like other songs have, uh, and even other songs on this album. Uh, and I don't know what it is. I just it's real it's very sparse and I just don't think there's enough there to get my attention. I think that could be part of it. I mean the drums they're basic as anything. There's a synth bass playing a couple of notes. The lyrics don't grab your attention? Oh uh, I'll get to that. The vocals <laughs> seem lazily delivered. I'm not a fan of lazily delivered lyrics and you guys are saying you can hear the passion in his voice. I don't. He sounds bored to death. Who said passion? Oh, there's I said moments. despair. Yeah, there's moments like despair. that. Oh yeah, at the beginning. Oh yeah, despair. It was despair. But yeah, I don't hear it. It's you don't hear the despair. I hear that he wants to portray despair, but I don't actually hear it. Okay. It's yeah, not, I'm convinced. By it's it. not. It's not real. I'm not convinced. All right. 
You're saying uh, how bad could it, how bad can it be at the new Paisley Park complex in in Minneapolis? <laughs> exactly. And I don't like the huge reverb on the vocals that always bothered me. Live, this sounds better, um, but this album version, it's just too restrained. I think is the word. God, lucky you weren't the engineer back behind the decks at 87. This album would have turned out completely differently. Yeah, we would have had forever in my life the correct way. Yeah. But anyway, we'll get to her later. Um, I think this track falls into the category of you had to be there. In 1987, living there, and it was probably as cool as anything when it came out. It was. But I, I wasn't there. I missed it. That's how much it caught my attention. I was too busy watching Gummy Bears. I didn't see this song at all. <laughs> it's just sad. The best thing in this track, you got the funky guitar here and there. There's some funky stuff. 410 to 418. Very simple, but, you know, note perfect. It's, it's good stuff. And as for the lyrics, I always thought this was Prince's version of A Day in the Life by the Beatles. He just picked up a newspaper and read some random headlines. And, you know, making some sort of statement while he's at it, just by doing that. But, uh, yeah, don't love it. This was one of the tracks added towards the end, is that right? Because uh, from what not, I've seen of crystal sure ball that. configurations, I didn't see Sign of the Times there. It seems to have been added later on when it was cut down to a 2LP. And then somehow got the whole album named after it. I don't know. The difference from this track, first track to the second track, is a million miles for me. It'd be a million miles for everyone, probably. Oh, <laughs> uh, move on. <laughs> I think you need some more Purple Fizz. <laughs> uh, you know what I will mention quickly? That there's a few interesting cover versions of Sign of the Times. Um, that was what I was going to mention. Um, Billy Cobham, incredible, masterful powerhouse drummer. Drummer, yeah recorded a cover of this song for his picture this album uh, simple minds did a cover nina simone recorded uh, a cover on this on her last album okay but it never actually made it to the final album so it's still somewhere in the vaults are they uh, all as boring as this version no well the billy Cobber one's pretty interesting <laughs> he's a drummer <laughs> not a singer so mm. um and it, uh, that's i think that's worth checking out but um the Shaka Khan one too. Shaka from, Khan, um, yeah. that's I really Bunk like that this. version. Yeah, okay. that's a cool version. There's a bit at the end of that that I'm like, oh man, that would have been cool on the Prince's one. There's like a new lyric at the end, and I always wonder if that's from the original outtake or something, or whether that Shaka's added that. But it's a really nice section at the end. The other thing I was going to quickly mention was um, this album, as with with much of Prince's music in the '80s, uh, much of it would have been done on a. Um, Machine <laughs> on a sampling, on a synthesizer, right? On Fairlight, a yeah, on the Fairlight. And I always wonder, you know, like the drums. Do you, well, you know, there's a lot of drum programming on this on this record, on most of the songs actually. And I always wonder about how they would sound like with real drums. I don't know if you guys ever have that have that kind of thing. And I, I really wonder how this would this particular song would sound like, sound like with. With Sheila E on the drums. Yeah, in 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 a, like a recorded in a really large kind of echoey room. I, I really wonder about that. Yeah, because even when they did this on the Musicology tour, Blackwell would start the trigger of the drum beat. That's right, yeah. and then he'd drum along with it. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and another thing, and I'll finish on this. Another interesting thing that I read about recently was, and and this is to to play as Fairlight. The reference about the Fairlight's uh, synth or sampling synthesizer, it sounds like Prince's 
used a lot of the sounds that either came stock with the, with the synth or that he programmed himself. And um, the sound that really kind of gets me the most is that jab, that really industrial... Like a yeah. yeah. Orchestra stab. Yeah, that orchestra stab, or orchestra hit, or whatever you yeah. call it, yeah. I think so there are a lot of um, stock sounds inbuilt into the machine. And that's, to me, that's... I don't know what my, how I feel about that. Because, you know, when you listen to it, and it's kind of cool, but it, it does sound strange. It does sound like a bit... I can't even really describe it. It just kind of... That orchestra hit, like, it would have sounded cool, because yeah. I can't think of an album earlier than this that has it, but heaps of the, like, hip-hop albums later on use it, and... Sort of came a bit cliche. Yeah, like you listen to Public Enemy and this kind of stuff is all over their records. Yeah. Um, you know, the weird thing is Prince for a lot of years was, you know, people were saying he's ahead of his time, whether it was the synths or drum machines or whatever he was doing. But he was a bit late getting on the fair light, I think. No. No. Okay. That's... Mike Oldfield. Yeah, he had it. Discovery Tour. He programmed pretty much the whole show. On yeah. the fair light, and it was just all samples. Yeah, that's but that's three years before this. Yeah, but like not many people had them because they were between um, five thousand and ten thousand or something. It was mm. ridiculous the price of them. I think Herbie, Herbie hey. Hancock and Herbie Hancock and Stevie Wonder were some of the yeah first. Prince had Purple Rain money; he could afford it. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah. No, but I'm saying like it, it was only used by really elite musicians. Not many musicians were using it, so it wasn't like you know everyone was using it. And then Prince came along and decided to use it. Like he was you part know, of that. Uh, he was part of that. Yeah. But I'll get to more of the Fairlight stuff later in the in the show. All right, all right. So after that down tempo kind of spooky sounding first opening track, let's go into track number two. Yes. And it is play. In the sunshine. One day, every day will be no day. Captain, take it away. I've got to say, this is the best song on this first half of this album. Wow. And tracks, this is the best track. Ooh. Ooh. Better than anything else. Ooh. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Without a doubt. No question. Ooh. <laughs> There's so much in this track, I don't know where to start. I can listen to this song and listen to a different part every time. I love the bass line. It's just simple, but it's just so good. Just goes all through the song, and and where do you start with the drum drum patterns? It's just insane. I think there was there was just a thread on the org, like yeah, uh, that's right about the drums. There is like a basic kick drum and snare. That's pretty much it. Everything else sounds like it was just bashed out live on the drum machine over like this this basic beat, and that's just insane because you listen to it. Every other bar is different to the last one. There's just something different every time. I had the exact same thing written. I said, it sounds to me like the kick drum and the snare drum are programmed, and then the, all the hi-hats and cymbals are all just played along. Yep, it's just exactly man, the same thing. It's crazy. It's cool. And um, even just the kick drum, it's not just one, two, three, four, because the second one is just a tiny bit before it should be, if you want to go and listen to that. Because, you know, you got everything's on the one. You've got one, two, three, four. The second one's just a bit before it should be. And every time you listen to it, you're like, oh. And then once you start listening to it, you can't stop listening to it. <laughs> It's crazy. Oh, there's a million things in this song. Go and listen to the guitar solo, 235 to 255. Blow your head off. <laughs> listen to the crazy xylophone parts, 226 to 235. 
then again at 344 to 354. If he wasn't listening to Zappa, I don't know what else he was listening to. But <laughs> some crazy stuff in there. Um, and I haven't even gone to the vocals yet. I think this is one of Prince's most playful tracks he ever recorded. It's up there. It just makes me happy every single time I listen to it. It's just crazy. The screams, 317 to 324, they're just perfect, pitch-perfect screams. It's just, every time I hear it, I'm just like, wow. There's another scream, 342, it's just great. And this, building a, a drum solo section into an album track. Yeah. Followed <laughs> by a guitar solo. If that's not just perfect planning for the tour that was going to come after that, I don't know. It, it, it's all in his brain. He was thinking, this is going to tour, I'm going to do this. Yeah. You can Big definitely hear that. Off. I'm going to get Sheila E. It's going to just blow everyone's faces off. That's <laughs> uh, what it did. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop because you guys need something to say. <laughs> this is the best song. Best song. That's it. Wow. Way, way better than the first track. Way better. I would say at least 10 times better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> possibly 12. <laughs> all right, all right. Player then. What are your thoughts? Wow, there's, there's a lot going on in this track, and for me, it's a hard listen because I guess through the original mastering process, it's hard to single out instruments and certain musical parts, but... Listen to the vinyl player. Nah. Come over to my place. That's what you should have done. <laughs> but overall, reflecting the title of the song, it's playful and psychedelic. The lyrics nice and trippy, almost escapism. There seems to be two drum machines on the song that I can hear, one being the Lin drum and the other, I think, is a Boss drum machine. I was in a musical store once and I was hanging out there and there was a Boss drum machine and pre-programmed sound in it was the Play in the Sunshine like licks and, and stuff. It was exactly the same. So, wow. I, again, stock sounds. But I think if, if someone can do the research of Boss drum machines around that era, like 86, 87 or whatever... You'll find this, this this thing in it. So a bit of homework for the listeners. And then you have some interesting elements you don't hear normally in a Prince song like xylophones. And like I said, trying to single out these elements out in the mix is hard to highlight them. But having said that, this song is one of my guilty Listen pleasures. To the vinyl. Listen to the vinyl. <laughs> the live version is kicked up into double time and has a lot more energy. And really, he hasn't revisited this song since the Son of the Times tour, which I think would be great if he brought this one back into the live shows. Oh, are you serious? Uh, come on, man. He hasn't even done it in 25 years. This, oh, like, has he? This, this would be the best song that he could ever bring back. <laughs> it's one of those ones, though, if he brought it back, he'd have to do it properly. He'd have to do it properly, yeah. like the full arrangement, not just like a little verse or two here kind of thing. Yeah, of course. full thing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> documented he's played it in the last 25 years since the son of Tom played it since 87 yeah not so, once this is this would be a great one play in the sunshine this song should be i don't know uh, <laughs> yeah captain had his tongue had his tongue tied and now so do i i I have so much love for this song, and it's probably, in my opinion, probably not only one of my favourite songs, but one of the most amazing pieces of music he has ever put to wax. Overall, the amount of effort in the arrangement itself, I'm talking about just the arrangement, is insane. It is intense. In less capable hands, this song wouldn't even be a song. It would be a hodgepodge of randomly... It'd be the biggest mess you've ever heard. Yeah, exactly. It'd just be this random suggestion of sound that would really go nowhere. But this song does the opposite. It doesn't go nowhere. You know, every minute 
or close to it, it goes on its own little journey. It just wanders off here and there and there and there and there. And and then it comes back right at the end, which is incredible. I'm running out of... I haven't even said much, and I'm already finding it hard to, to, um, just as Captain did, to find the superlatives. But, ooh, doggies, says the lyric booklet. (laughs) I've never actually heard that in the song. Is it just me? Is it inaudible? No, you can hear it. I can't really hear the Doggies bit, but anyway. Where is it? It's just the very start. That's, I thought that was Hot Dog. <laughs> I thought he said, ooh, Hot Dog. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's still a dog? dog reference. No, it's not Hot Dog. This it's is a dog. really... But this is also like a... It's like a hippie type... Uh-oh, <laughs> Hot Dog. <laughs> it's like a hippie type jam to me. Um, yeah. And when you read the lyrics, it's they seem to be quite nostalgic, you know? We want to be free, we want to play in the sunshine without the help of drugs, basically saying I want to kick it like we used to and just dance, dance like it's going to be the last time. That sounds like 1999 to me. I don't know about you guys, but... Oh, yeah, I had that. Oh, okay. Sorry if it's stealing it. It's just the feel-good hit of the summer and it just never lets you down. Turn all the lights up to 10. It's like, it's supposed to be turn the volume knob up to 10, right? And he's like, turn the lights up to 10, I don't know. 11. Yeah, it's inc- right. Yeah, and you know he's feeling kind of lucky tonight. He's gonna love all his enemies till the gorilla falls off the wall. What? Yeah, some <laughs> of the lyrics are just—they're just excellent. <laughs> to Toe Jam's opening remark, ah, pop goes the music when the big white rabbit begins to talk. <laughs> I the love color- that line. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's good. But go and say it, MC. Say the next line. It's a really good lyric. And the color green will make your best friends leave you. It will that make them a- do the walk. <laughs> That I think there's some truth to that lyric. That's just such a good, such a simple, but such a classic metaphor. Um, I feel there's some personal truth in that lyric, I'm guessing. But that's just cool, Captain. But that's cool, because one day, every day, will be a yellow day. <laughs> that's a cool let's day. <laughs> It's just incredible, this song. So, you know, that, that's some of the lyricism, but the combination of real drums and programmed drums is masterful. This guy is incredible. I said it before, I'll say it again. I get shivers up my spine during the breakdown, especially during the part where they're telling him to play and he's saying, no, yeah. play, no, play. My sh- oh, just says, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it's like so juvenile and so 60s flower power, plus having fun in the studio, plus just going absolutely nuts. I hate to bring up a much inferior track, but he did exactly the same thing. On uh, push. on diamonds and pearls, yeah. Yeah, on push, that's right. yeah. The rap. I don't wanna. <laughs> Wants him to rap. It's like no, no, and then he does the rap. I don't wanna. <laughs> so, but you know, I was listening to this. Let's just say I was listening to it on vinyl. Vinyl. Oh yeah. man. <laughs> How and, do I know he's gonna say that? And uh, <laughs> and you guys haven't even touched on half the stuff I heard, so I don't know what you're listening to. <laughs> what about the acoustic guitar? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, the acoustic guitar yeah. in the background, yeah. almost throughout the entire five minutes, is just awesome. What about the funky, honky-tonk, New Orleans, Professor Longhair, Dr. John-type <laughs> piano towards the end? Anyone hearing that? Yeah. Of course, yeah. Captain said the running xylophone, if that's what it is. It's just hilarious. You know, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. He uses the old Warner uh, Warner Brothers Looney Tunes sound on on a Warner Brothers album. That's quite interesting to me. <laughs> I wonder if he had to ask permission for that. <laughs> exactly. It's like go ask Roger Rabbit. I want to use it. <laughs> With those crazy like xylophone runs, you know, that's pretty much the only 
real leftover we got from the sort of Dream Factory style that surfaced on an album. Because mm. we, n- we never heard the album. Yeah, I, I agree. It has got a different sort of sound to the rest of the album. I guess a lot of the songs do, but this is the one that, to me, doesn't sound like a sign of the times. It does sound like something from a different project, but it works on the album. I think the big reason why this works, outside of the fact that it's Incredibles song in and of itself, is the contrast between the first and second track. It's it's stunning. So They're total right. opposites, really. The first one's yeah. so dark and bleak. Oh. And this is like the total opposite happiest song ever. Yeah, it's like he opens up the album saying bleak, dark, despair, no reason to you know to live for. But don't worry, just... we're gonna blow our heads off anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like exactly the message of nineteen ninety nine, the um the, the the single and the album to a lesser extent. But I'll just finish up with some of my uh, further comments about the sounds. The um the xylophone, yep, we've spoken about that. I think it's just it's insane. Let's play. He's obviously insane. But the mixed hand clap sounds as well, really, really cool. The bass work towards the end of the song is awesome. Uh, even throughout is, is just great to listen to. And it's really groovy bass as well, some of it. It's so buried. Some of it is buried so low in the mix, though, yeah. um, even on the analog version. <laughs> what I wouldn't give for, and everyone else, for a remaster of Sign of the Times. It would yeah. just be unbelievable. Uh. I would just listen to this song for the first week. I have to say the the comparison between the CD and the other version that I mentioned pre- a second ago is is audible. I don't know if you guys have experienced as analog as you can get version of Sign of the Times. I'm assuming every, all of us have heard a version one way or the other, but I see a massive difference. I, it, the, the CD is almost unlistenable in comparison. The CD is very muddy. The vinyl sounds so much better. Yeah. Even even on a crappy stereo, the vinyl yeah. sounds better than the CD. By far. And and I think a lot of it has got to do with the mastering and then the transferring and all that. But also, the, the, just the low end. It's like they unplugged the low end out of the mix. And it's like, you're left with this really... He forgot to push that bass button, remember? All you got to do is just push that button and then you instant bass. <laughs> so, yeah, this is... I'll leave it to ToeJam to, to spoil us with his review of this, but I'll just say that this was always a, a really fun, joyful, ecstatic song to me and lots of fun to listen to, but I have gained such a huge appreciation of this, a much larger appreciation, and I'm calling it this one, this song one of the best songs, not only on this record, but one of the best songs he has ever done on every level. So, ToeJam, take it. I'd say that. I'd, I'd put it in the top 20. Oh, easily. Easily. Yeah. Toe Jam. Wow. Playing such one. Okay. Yeah, first thing I've got written is um, it's a classic Prince positivity in the face of adversity kind of song. Uh, mm-hmm. It's 1999. It's, this, it's exactly the same sort of mentality. It's, well, you know, the world's going to crap, but we're going to keep partying on, uh, <laughs> which is good. Uh, we've all talked about the drums and the hi-hat. Just listening to the hi-hat all the way through the song is so cool. Like I think Captain said, it's different every time. And to me, all those drums happening, it, it always, I have this visual of like popcorn, just like watching popcorn yeah. being made, just popping all the way through. It's, it's so random. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Prince is probably laughing, going, ha, huh, two drum machines. There's 17. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ignorant fools. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's probably 17 tracks of every instrument on this. <laughs> I'm going to pull you guys up. I'm pretty sure it's a marimba and not a xylophone. Oh, it could Ooh, be. <laughs> marimba. It's a bit more of a woody kind of sound. Okay, all metallic right. Metallic kind of sound. But a couple of cool moments. 
What's the lyric where he references pop? He says the word pop, and really faintly in the left speaker, you can actually hear him uh, like popping his popping, cheeks. Yeah, so that, it's hilarious. Uh, I cack myself every time I hear that. <laughs> it's because it's so faint. It's just you only hear it on headphones. That's not the pop goes the music bit, is it? I think it might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you pop just goes this the really music. Faint, pop. <laughs> but my favorite bit in the song, and it gives me the funk face every time I hear it, is the the drummer drummer part. Oh, yeah. Drummer, drummer. And just for like half a second, you hear this insanely quick kick drum. Yeah. And it's just, yep. it's only for like half a second. And it's just like, ah, oh, that's so cool, that bit. I love that. Because, um, you know, he could have done this massive drum fill, but no, what does he do? It's just this tiny little. What else have I got? The whole song's got like, it reminds me of like people on a street in like maybe New York. And like, you know, you see those images of like a hot sunny New York day and they, they let the water out of the water main and everyone's yeah. just partying in the street. That's what it reminds me of. And you get that at the beginning as well with all the street sounds and the, the people talking. It's kind of reminds me of Weather Report's song um, Black Market, similar kind of vibe. I don't know if you guys know that, which is a similar kind of thing, like a party in the street. I don't know if I've got too much more. You guys have taken a lot of the good stuff. I've got so many times written down here, two minutes, 20 instrumental portion, 326 for drums, 345, yeah. something else, 350. And after a while, I'm like, oh, I can't. It's too <laughs> yeah, many. That was me. You can't keep so up. Moments. There's so many moments in this, in this song. It's cool. <laughs> and I also got to say, it's one song that I always slept on for years and years. I always, you know, because Sign of the Times and Housequake are such big songs. I'd always sort of forget this one. And it's one of those songs that I always relish coming back to now. But yeah, what a great song. I've just got to say, you know, like MC has said, you know, on my version of Sign of the Times, it actually starts with playing the sunshine. <laughs> it's, just, it's not even there. <laughs> it's just straight into playing the sunshine. That's the way it should be. <laughs> uh, uh, we should mention as well, I, I think the, um, the Sign of the Times movie version is amazing too. Oh, yeah. Actually hearing it live is kind of cool. Seeing Sheila E. smack those drums. Oh, yeah. You know, that big high shot looking down while they're doing yeah. the drum solo that, that's and cool. all the lights yeah. and what about the arrangements like that you know that part right right before right before right after she goes into that drum solo where the bass and the rhythm the rhythm section and also the horn section go do you know yeah. what I'm talking about I think so yeah, yeah. it's like really cool it, just before he says on, and on the drums yeah, yeah. that's right yeah there's another part that just popped into my Head. You know, there's just so much chopping and changing and changing and chopping and backwards and forwards, and it just you you just spun out by the end of it. That's it. I'm calling this one of Prince's greatest songs again, <laughs> again. I have to do it. Hey, and Kat, I- you want to go out tonight? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm like a bit, I'm a bit like Toe Jam. I slept on this for a while, but recent ne- in recent. I never times, slept on this. It was great from the first time I heard it. And yeah, this it's still this great. woke you up after the first song. <laughs> so yeah, this, this is the first track. What are you talking <laughs> that's, about? That's right. Oh, and if you know anything, anything after this song is going to be tepid on this album, or will it? <laughs> or will it be? But again, just before we go into track number three, "Play in the Sunshine," MC's calling it again one of Prince's greatest creations. Track number three, "Housequake." Housequake. Does anybody know about the quake? <laughs> Prince doesn't anymore. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, All right. Eight second part of it these days. Let's, controversy, yeah. Let's uh, let's start with player on this housequake. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, this is it. This is the jam. Where to start with this? So much going on. I like how it starts as an interruption to playing the sunshine with the record scratch. Like, excuse me, Camilla's now taken over this record. Yeah. I reckon that's really cool. And the beat is really strong and distinctive. Um, it's very derivative of James Brown yeah. in its sound and, and referencing the song track as a dance, the way James used to, like Camel Walk and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, this is about, you know, doing the housequake. But it's got u- the unique print spin on it. So it very much makes it his own. The lyrics are nonsensical. It's a straight party track. There's the Dr. Seuss reference in there. but Green eggs and ham. Yeah, but it's almost Prince's, like Dr. Seuss himself, with the way the lyrics play out. The horn lines, even though uh, they're simple, they really add a lot to the song. The same with the chicken scratch, or the chicken grease, you know, the on the... It's only a, a dinky little riff underlying yeah. the song, mm. but it adds so much. And up until this point, he's never done a track like this one. I just remember Oh, what listening. about Pony Pony? <laughs> Came after it. A song about a dance. <laughs> <laughs> Comparing Horny Pony to this. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I had to do it. I just remember listening to it at the time and being blown away by the craziness of it. You know, it's funk, it's hip-hop, it's party, it's all rolled into one. This is one of my favourite tracks on this album, one of my all-time favourite tracks. I just wish he would revisit it live as a full song, not reciting some lines during controversy. Mm. Just an so. excuse to get everyone to jump up and down. Yeah, so, you know, he's, he's really got to play it out again. Great, great track. All right, all right. Captain. Possibly, no, very probably the funkiest track he ever created. It's just, I don't know. Bullshit. I even know what <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I had to write down some notes. I, think, I couldn't think, you know, what can you say? It's Housequake. That's a good review, bro. Um, you've got the beat, you've got the kick drum, you've got the funky lyrics, you've got the funky guitar, you've got that organ drone chord oh, that just oh. keeps going here and there. The funky sped up vocal, funky backing vocals, funky bass. Great horn lines. You know what do you say? It's just it's housequake. That's right. I would say except it's awesome, it's funky, and it's up there with absolute classic Prince tracks. And the kick drum is the fault. (laughs) Toe jam. Oh wow, this is just funk on a stick, isn't it? Um, What I love about the song is the way that it is just so classically funky, but it's so uniquely classically funky. Like there's so many things that are slightly off. Like the beat itself, dum, dum, du du dum. It's and then he's got that. Like, he's got like a drum machine doing that, but then he's got like a floor tom or something doing a beat that's yeah. like almost the same, but just like one beat different. And you, and they're slightly in different speakers, and you get this just sort of weird, almost like stereo effect of this kick drum. Uh, that I love that. And then then the bass is just this weird bass line. Dun, 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 dun. It's it's not mm. like a classic, you know, like sort of a musicology kind of baseline. It's just this like little kind of weed of a baseline, which is cool. <laughs> I love the dry horns. They're just so dry and dead. There's one line that's really classically James Brown, you know. That's such a James mm. Brown kind of line. But then yeah. there's, there's this other one that's like a real sort of augmented. This is the um, the quintessential Camille track, I think. You think Camille? The first song that comes to my head is is Housequake, and his you know his vocal vocal voice is just so tweaked and high pitched, and when he sings lines like you know it's a a groove this funky, it's on the run, it's you know you got the police sirens and everything, it's <laughs> it's just awesome. Just because we've never heard what a police siren sounds like yeah. before. <laughs> there is a <laughs> even, cool in, line. even in eighty seven he was doing it. Oh. <laughs> 
There's a cool horn line um, in the extended version, and also they did it live. Uh, I wish it was on this album version. That da 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 Oh, yeah. yeah I yeah, love yeah. that line. Um, That's not on the album version? No, it's not. Uh, it's on the... One of the extended oh. versions. Moquake. Yeah, that's right. But again, this song is outside of the 87, 88 tours. It's really underplayed, I think. Like, come on, Prince, bring this one back. This is some funky stuff right here. Yeah, in full, not not just yeah. a snippet. Yeah. yeah. I think he did it on that NAACP award a few years ago, eh? But even that was still, it was only like two minutes or so of it. Yeah. But, the, you know, you could see the potential there of that song. Yeah, there's not much more to say. It's just... <laughs> yeah, it's it's everyone knows Housequake. It's it's pure Prince Funk and definitely one of the best he's ever done, I guess. Wow. And the saxophone is the fault. Yeah. And the kick drum is the fault. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, this song. Top I love your- in the live version. Oh, man, we've got to talk about that Sign of the Times DVD as well. We, oh, we, we, I think we better dancing, do that. The dancing on that thing is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. There's one bit where he does the splits while he's singing and it's just, oh, man. And he's done this thing on his back when he's crawling around and... Cats running around, shaking a thing. It's, uh, it's brilliant. Shaka like a boom. What was that? <laughs> Aftershock. Is that a switch? I love that line. It's so good. Uh, and I love, you know, the lyrics of this. Of, okay, let me, let me put it this way. It's this comical, song. Hey? It's like cartoon comic. Yeah, exactly. But it puts you in a great mood. It's not just, mm. you know, I, lo- I love the, the, the Maceo uh, JB's track, Given Up Food for Funk. And although that one's much, much different, and I'm not making a comparison, I've always loved that line, you know, because it's kind of playful. Prince is about 10 or 15 playful lines in this song. <laughs> He's like, he goes from the shut up already damn to if you can't rock steady, get off. And then, you know, all these housequake chants in the background. And the funniest line is, people are saying housequake, housequake, housequake. And then he goes, bullshit, louder, say it, housequake. Yeah, and I love the way those chants are really kind of awkward. Like, they're not like full on, they're kind of like, do you know what I mean? They're like mm. people going, housequake. It's not really <laughs> yeah. like this full on, you know, a massive anthem chant. It's just like these two or three guys going, housequake. <laughs> <laughs> the three geeky guys in the corner drinking the fruit punch. Um, so yeah, but I love the I l- absolutely love the line where he says something like, um, "Got a rock? Come on, we're gonna shake. We're, we're gonna, gonna quake. We're gonna quake. We got the baddest groove that we could make." No, nah, no, nah, because it's actually because you got the baddest groove uh, that we could make, and I love absolutely love that line. He's like, he's talk, he's singing to the listener. He's like, "You got the baddest groove that we could make. Here it is." You know, put the needle on this record. Love it. We're going to see if we can rock this mother to the max. You know, it's like they're about to go overboard. And that's a uh, fact. How many, how, many classy, <laughs> how many classy lyrics are in this song? He said, get off. He says, to the max. Yeah. Listen listen to the band. Come on, say it. Housequake, you can't follow it. Man, it's just got everything. We got the your city. jam in the lab. There's a brand new groove that's going round. You know, he's like... It's like Housequake was the official dance of 87. Yeah, that's right. And actually, speaking of 87, there's that other lyric. A little bit, you got it, let's do the twist. A little bit harder than they did in 66. A little bit faster than they did in 67. Twist, little sister, and go to heaven. I mean, this song is just radical funky, radical cool. But you know what? There's a couple of, even in a pure funk track, he still puts in some, what I believe, maybe some spiritual references you know, twist little sister and go to heaven. Not he can't everyone. help himself, can he? He can't. No. Just, he can't do it. He can't help <laughs> he, himself. He can't. He can't write he a pure funk one track. Song. Exactly. You know, even in his arguably one of the or the funkiest song, he's got he's got the go to heaven line, and then he's got he's got another one in there. I just I can't. Where he prefaces one of the housequakes by saying, "My lord, 
Housequake. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, my lord? Housequake? This is an incredible track, but look, this is where it's at. The hand claps on the two and four. This is the original two and four Prince jam. Bass lines are ridiculously funky. The chicken scratch guitar that player spoke about, I don't need to go into that again. I love the constant yelling and singing and whistling in the background. It gives it this such a massive party atmosphere. And you know what? It's faint on the CD. It's not that faint on the version that I was listening to. But again, to me, it always sounds like there's only like three or four people there. It's like a little, tiny little party, and he's just rocking it hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's like him and the bodyguards in the studio. Yeah. I think they're credited on the, on the disc. Yeah, they it's, are, yeah. Yeah. But it, it's cool. It's like, it's like you know, house party or, or, or you know, party in the room. Those really long organ or synth organ notes you know they're not you guys said they're throughout the track but it's not just that they're throughout the track they're really long notes yeah it's just like one chord and it just just goes goes he just holds it okay but it releases on um you know it's like you imagine in your head where they jump you know they jump on the one yeah and the keyboard does the same thing it's like off (laughs) off keyboard's like i I better get off now yeah Too funky. So yeah, that's all really good, and they just funk it up. And it's the sax lines. You know, one of the funkiest horn lines out there, I think, whether it's James Brown derivative or not. Because as, as Tojem said, there are plenty of other horn parts that in this song that are very unique. And again, he, he must be employing that Fairlight sound effect, because it sounds like there's this sound that comes in and out of this track. It sounds like someone's banging on the doors again. And I'm talking about a different sound to that of the toms. And I always kind of thought it sounded like a very Alfred Hitchcock type sample. That <laughs> you know, it's a really, really weird, really weird keyboard sound throughout as well. This is an incredible song, guys. I have to agree. Wow, Housequake. And Housequake takes us into... Shut up already. <laughs> I will. I'm shut up already and go into track number four. Damn. And um, track number four is The Ballad. The Ballad of... Dorothy Parker. This is a Toe Jam. Uh, well, I think this is probably maybe tied with another song on the other disc, but it's definitely my top one or two on the album, I think. Hmm. Um, this is an amazing song. This is the dream song. This is the classic. <laughs> It this is, is this the is, dream song. This yeah. is the classic Prince dream song. Only Prince could come up with something like this. Yep. It's like this jazzy nightclub thing, but then you've got this drum machine beat that's just insane all the way through. So many little twists and turns to it. And, and that's my first point is just the juxtaposition between the craziness of the bass and the, and the drums. And then he's like Sign of the Times. He's got this really sort of lazy, quiet vocal over the top of it. And I think the, the contrast between the two is what gives the song the tension. Like if he was just singing this really hardcore vocal line, it wouldn't be so interesting. But it's the, it's the combination of the two that makes it really interesting. The chords in this song are just some really interesting chords. I've tried to work it out a few times and I've, I've come up with sort of similar things, but I can never quite get it exactly. It's sort of based on E minor and then he has, you know, sh- um, normal sixes, then he has flat sixes and... He has sort of a C major sound over the top of it. It's it's really interesting chords all the way through. And there's the bass, there's like, it sounds to me like there's a keyboard bass, there's a really deep guitar bass, and then there's like a real sort of trebly slap bass going through it as well. So just like all those little slaps. So so much going on as a lot of the songs in this album so far. There's a little bit where he says, well, and then he goes on to the early, early line. And he also does the same thing in, um, I think it's Dion in, in The Truth. 
And then I was listening to a Larry Graham album. When I, I forget which song it is, but Larry Graham does the ex- it's almost the exact same kind of thing where he's like, well, and then goes on with the verse. And I'm like, oh, that's where that came from. It's from an old Larry Graham track. So, you know, his influence was always there. Good old Larry. We love him. Uh, <laughs> hang on a second. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got that reference to Larry. And then, of course, there's also the famous Joni Mitchell reference, which I remember buying a Joni Mitchell album and... And then hearing this help me, and I'm like, oh, that, that's the song. That's the one that Prince is referring. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, what else have I got here? Some very cool lyrics in it all the way through. There's one lyric I used to hate, but I actually kind of like it now. The, the lyric where he's like, um, she didn't see the movie because she hadn't read the book first. That's I used a to hate, great yeah, I used to hate that lyric. I used to think, oh, that sounds so cheesy. But you know, once you get a bit older and you see things from different perspective, you know. A really interesting lyric, like kind of the difference between male and female in some way. That's such a classic difference. Like, not that everyone's like that, but it's such a infamous example. You know, that yeah. ladies will always read the books first, and the men will go see the movies first. Just a silly little sort of cultural thing. Toe jam. Yeah. <laughs> Can I make a quick comment here? Yeah. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> do you think? Do you think? <laughs> Hurry up. Do you think maybe that line might mean something else? Oh, of course, of course, <laughs> of course. But the way he's done it with that in mind, like, mm. you know, using that sort of, you know, some little fluffy thing that someone would say to someone else and then using it in that context. Yeah. Read the good book first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're thinking that? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, okay. Yeah. You can see the movie, baby, but just tell me. You can just repeat Psalm 23. Yeah. Slash <laughs> and then we can get the show on the road. <laughs> <laughs> But I've n- I've never been a big fan of the lyric about keeping his pants on. It's like uh, yeah, it's, I hate that. It sounds a bit dorky. But yeah, I don't have much more to say. Obviously, um, a track like "What Do You Want Me to Do" is very much from Musicology. Yep. It's very much the sort of Dorothy Parker Part Two, and that's very good as well. But this is the original, and such an amazing song. One of my favorites of all time. Probably my first or second on this album. You'll have to wait to find out what the other one is. It's just brilliant. All right, all right. Um, let's take it to Captain now to make things interesting. Oh. Here we go. This was never one of my favourite tracks, and it never will be. What a surprise. Um, You just don't like bubble baths. That's your problem. Yeah, not with your pants on. (laughs) Occasionally, when I listen to this, I'll get into it, but most of the time, I'm just, you know, skip, 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 skip. And I did get into it a little bit, because I had listened to it a bunch of times for this. I don't mind the sort of, like, wobbly keyboards going through it. And again, the lazy... Vocal delivery style, not a fan. But it fits in with this type of song, so it's, it's okay in that way. Drum beat. Good drum beat. We all know he knows his way around a drum machine. That's not saying anything nobody doesn't know. But this has got a really good drum beat. It's got lots of little, little fills here and there, and the, the cymbals as well. I don't have much to say about this song. I know this is a really, you know, like, well-liked song from this album, but I just don't like it myself. I suppose, you know, the lyrics... You can analyse the lyrics to death with all this violent room stuff and I don't know, I never bothered with it. I don't know what any of it means. I never gave it more than half a second thought. I love the background uh, vocals all the way through and like there's one bit where they're like, tell us what you did, what you did. It's like, you know, he's telling the story of the night <laughs> out. Like, that's cool. That sounds like someone from Greece. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to hear him do some songs from Greece. That that should be the next album. <laughs> oh man, God! I would, I would play that to death. <laughs> What's good in this? What's good about this song? Um, there's a funky breakdown at 3:35. It just sounds cool. Then the funky little guitar comes in, and and then it's all over. Who's the troll now? <laughs> um, 
don't know. I got nothing else to say about this song. All right, all right. <laughs> Let's move on to player on this. Okay, I think the appeal of this song is a number of things. Firstly, is the sound of it. It's kind of low-key and lo-fi. It's it's the perfect track to follow the craziness of Housequake. It's very well sequenced on the album. The other is the fact that it sucks you in because like, it, it's Prince storytelling. And for me, songs that are the storytelling tracks are the most interesting. And I'm thinking here like Join Repetition and Papa and coming up later on this album like Starfish and Coffee. It's great to listen to. It's not like it's an actual story, you know. Mm. It starts as a regular story. And then you got the twist in the tale where, you know, he takes the bubble bath with the pants on. I and mean, when you get to that oh, point, Oh, yeah, know, the twist. <laughs> <laughs> no, he left like, his pants on. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like, when you listen to it, it it's kind of sounds like a straightforward story, how he meets the waitress and all that. But, like, when it gets to the bubble bath, it, it's kind of like, you know, this could only come from Prince, you know. Hmm. The Lindrum has just the right sound and, and the programming is stunning. You, you know you could have used a basic kick and snare on this, but he makes it interesting with the hi-hat accent, which kind of makes it its own loop within the song. And then I'm not sure what sort of instrumentation he's using, but you have these low bubbling sounds all the way through it and the keyboard chords have this wonky out-of-tune <laughs> sound to them. That's really cool. My favourite part in the song is when he references the Joni Mitchell's Help Me and he drops the snare out of the mix. That's the funk right there when he when he <laughs> that comes out. That's really cool. And I've got to mention De La Soul for sampling this track on the B side to Ego Trippin' Part Two. And it's a song called Lovely How I Let My Mind Float. It's got this much <laughs> on it. And they use the sample of Dorothy Parker in the song. It's a great use of Prince. It's the Bismarcky, as you can see. You know I got four rounds in Muhammad Ali. That's why I rock the mic and I'm in control. This is a rhyme dedicated to De La Soul. I'm the- so yeah, that's it. All right, all right. Now before I talk about this, I have to say that this, along with "Play in the Sunshine," oh, is there. This. Can't <laughs> you even put these two songs in any sort of sentence together? This. This song, along with "Play in the Sunshine," and one other song that's on this album that I'll talk about. It's on this on this first disc, second side. If you're listening to the vinyl version, um, is makes the the trilogy for me for the best three songs on this album. This is incredible, man! You got to be nuts not to just think this is an absolute genius track. There's so much to say about it, and I didn't hear Captain say much of what I'm about to say. I heard Player say very little about what I'm about to say. ToeJam touched on a few points, but... Come on, convince me this song's good. Alright, I got one word for you. Bass. Yeah, I talked about bass. No, I know, I know, and I I said you made some good... (laughs) But it's all about the drum programming, fine. It's all about the lyrics, fine, but this bass... When I was listening to the CD bow, version, bow. I heard that. I heard I heard the noise that Captain just made, but I missed so much of the intricacy and the intricate bass work that's that's underpins this this song all the way through. It's I so abs- percussive, isn't it? Like yes. when he's like slaps that bump bump ba da 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 just sort of thing. Yeah, and it's it's highly musical percussion and it's there's no words, so I'm not going to try and describe it. I'm just going to ask everyone that's listening to this to listen to the bass work and the bass parts, more specifically, of this of this song. They are incredible. Captain, get your, get your headphones on. Get your headphones on, plug it into a two-channel stereo amp, <laughs> and listen to a good, pristine, clean copy of, of this on vinyl. That's all I'm going to say right now. But the program synth gets me every time. I mean... If there is a better example of his drum programming of symbols, crash symbols, I don't think you know I've heard it. This is remarkable, 
and the timbre of sound that he achieves with this, with the drum programming throughout this song, I, I haven't heard it from him since then. Not, not to this, not to this degree, and I haven't heard it from any other artist that I'm aware of. It's it's so unique. So I'll leave that there. But you know, these the synth stabs throughout the song are really cool. They're kind of mellow, slightly wavering Fender Rhodes notes remind me of of water for some reason. I just feel like you know, to Toe Jam's point about this being a dream song, it also in a way reminds me aesthetically, the song reminds me to the feeling I get when I listen to Dolphin. And lyrically, this song reminds me to the feeling I get when I listen to Shy, because I think there's a lot of similarity between the context of the lyrics, in a sense, is, I think, is, is, is close to what, you know, what Shy... Uh, yeah, it's like it's Shy telling the story of the chase. Yeah. Yeah, and potentially a one-night stand here that didn't end up... With his that, pants off. Yeah, well, no, his pants came <laughs> off. His pants came off, but she didn't see the movie, etc. So. I know, but then later on, he keeps them on. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing twist. Who would have thought? <laughs> Sounds takes like them, a real man to me. Yeah, man takes them on, puts them back <laughs> off. She pretended she was blind, an affliction brought on by a witch's curse. I, I've never quite latched onto that line, but, you know, Dorothy made him laugh, so ha 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 ha. He felt much better. Very, very intriguing lyrics, very creative, very playful, very prince of this era. The bass slaps when he sings the Joni Mitchell line are great, as you, as you guys have mentioned. The note, the progression of notes on the Fender Rhodes and on the keyboards when he says, um, uh, she didn't see the movie because she hadn't read the book first. Listen while he's while he's delivering that vocal. Listen to what's happening on the keyboard in the background. Incredible, oh, just crazy, just craziness. It's it's it is in one word ridiculous. And there's so much kick drum in this song all the time. It's like it doesn't it doesn't let up, and it just propels the song. Why it just keeps going forward. To? Actually, I think that's really a highlight of these first four songs. Is that mm. there's the kick drum is so prevalent in these first four songs yeah and it's so tight it's mixed it's like it's wound up to it like the coil it must be like wound up completely oh what, what else do you say he has performed this live from time to time but the the, the biggest thing for me and this goes back to uh, something related to susan rogers the engineer at the time anyone who listens to this could, would probably agree that it does the sound of the song is a bit muddy and supposedly it's because of a technical issue they had, um, something to do with a new studio and, you know, things were just in bad shape. And also it was it was unused, so it was, you know, it was brand new. And there was some sort of power issue to do with the equipment. Basically, they got a flat response at the end of the day. But the only person that noticed the flat response supposedly was Susan Rogers and... Prince is recording all this stuff, and rumor has it that she doesn't tell him about the supposed issue. So she finds out about it, doesn't tell him. He listens to it, but then says, "You know what? This sounds really cool." And I find that interesting, and and actually really cool myself. That you know, that what we're hearing to a large degree that the sound quality is in part because of a technical glitch. Let's call it that. This is this is a, this is an incredible song. It's interesting that he refers to Dorothy Parker. By the way, we won't go into too much detail there, but she was a, a writer, poet, and a very important figure, important woman. In, in, I've always thought it was just a coincidence, though. I don't think because there's nothing in the lyrics that suggests that it's that Dorothy Parker. So I've always just thought, oh, it's probably just coincidence. Yeah, it's. I don't think he's referring to her uh, directly, but I think if you read a little bit about Dorothy Parker, or in fact, some of her work. 
she's very i think her hallmark was her wit and clever she was supposedly very clever you know great one-liners and very kind of you know like on on the edge of of what would be considered radical so yeah i don't know it's interesting because he says he says somewhere where he was looking for someone with a quicker wit than his so that's probably the the only direct reference but who knows yeah and then then prince singing that the help me part of um the jenny mitchell help me song from her caught and spark 74 release a bit of a... Uh, Which is my favourite Joni Mitchell album, I think. Court and Spark? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so a bit of a nod to Joni there. That, that never... That never. Um, that always helps. So, yeah, Ballad of Dorothy Parker. Classic. Classic, One Captain. One more thing. Towards the end, we have the those background vocals singing just Dorothy Parker, Dorothy Parker, like fading out in the background. Mm. That's a really cool moment. And I love the way it changes from... Like, the gap between those two notes just gets ever so smaller as it fades away. Mm. Uh, a really nice effect. That was all. Mm. All right. And with that, we come to the end of side one of oh, this great cool. LP. <laughs> You're never going to get off this, are you? <laughs> get off? Uh, so um, let's start up with side two, track one, it, or for those of you listening on the CD version, track five, disc one, <laughs> it. Let's get into it. Oh, who do I think would like this song? Let's let's mm, scratching my head here. Let's go with Captain. Captain, do you like it? Do you like it? Do I like it? Um, <laughs> yes. That's a good question. Yes. For for a lot of years, I thought this was the worst song on the entire album. Now, 2012, I don't think it's the worst song on the album, but it's still not not a masterpiece. I just remember thinking, you know, there's nothing to it. It's just a drum beat, a little keyboard riff and some weird stabby samples. And I just never really bothered with it. I skipped it all the time. What I do like about it now is he's really pushing his vocals and it's, it's, it's excellent. The, the main thing I like about this song is his vocals. He just, he kills it. His voice would have been trashed after this. Especially after, this is probably like the, you know... 18th take, and that's probably why his voice sounds so screwed sometimes, but it sounds great as well. I like it. I like the idea of this song more than the song itself. It's a very princely idea. My theory is that this song could be based on the public's perception of Prince at the time, not necessarily what he thought himself at the time. Oh, there's there's a refreshing. What do you think about that perspective? Yeah. I never even thought of that. I never thought of it until like this morning, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I was listening to the lyrics, and I'm like, okay, this is you know, the typical Prince image that most people think is that he's just he's just doing it all the time. So then, is then this his answer to that by saying, well, here's exactly what you want. This is yes. what you think of me. So here you go. It's probably as likely that he was just sitting alone in the studio and he got really horny and thought, that's it, I'm putting this to music. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's the other possible option, yeah. But, yeah, I don't mind it. I used to hate it, but now I can can listen to it and I'm like, yeah, it's not bad. That's all I'm going to say. He was looking at the recently completed Jill Jones album cover art. (laughs) I thought, I'm going to write about this. I want to do it all the time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay, Toe Jam. I'm like not it? a I'm not a huge fan, to be honest. 
It's the most skippable track on the album. Ooh. Um, it's what Stunt. it is. It's sort of. It's very. It's very much one doves cry. It sounds very much to me like the, the drums, beat from the when drums, doves cry. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is and the beat, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Because when they did it live, they would yeah, often yeah. mix this in with when mm. doves. It's just a bit. Uh, it's just too long for me. Five minutes ten of the same sort of beat, and it does change. There's some, like Captain said, his vocals are going off, and but it's just a bit samey all the way through to me. I, I normally skip it, but I, I like the most interesting lyric is obviously from the um, when he's. I can't be guilty for my honesty. I think that that's. I could that's be. A, I could be. Yeah, uh, that's a good lyric because you know he obviously has these feelings and he wants to do it, uh, and he's kind of wrestling with it. Mm. Uh, so that, that you know, that's very very classic Prince. Just won't sit still. <laughs> yeah, it's a very classic Prince theme, I guess. Yeah, uh, the struggle between his his it and what he wants to do with it. <laughs> Ooh, that's a very deep jam. <laughs> Could you explain yourself? <laughs> uh, not as deep as it may have come across. Okay. Um, do you mean? Yeah. Do, you, do you mean? Are you suggesting that he's saying I could be guilty for my honesty? Guilty in the sense that I really shouldn't be having these feelings. I shouldn't be talking about this, etc., etc. Et yeah, maybe. Mm. So the fact that he's questioning himself—that's a very you know classic Prince theme. Mm. You know. But yeah, it's it's the most skippable track on the album. Uh, I could have done. When you think there's five minutes ten there, think of all those other songs from Black Album, Dream Factory, the some of the Revolution stuff. Better five minutes ten out there that could have gone in there. But anyway, yeah. it's there now. So okay. <laughs> so you're saying it is the most skippable track on the entire album? Uh, yeah. Oh wow, it really it's not is terrible. I'm not saying it's the worst song, but it's it. know, I normally skip it. So. It. If you guys don't mind, I'll, I'll go into this quickly. Here, here are the things that I like about it. I love how dis- distant his vocals sounds. Oh, you can blame Susan Rogers for that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, I won't blame her. I'll just I'll just say that I actually like the the um the finished effect. It sounds like he's he's like in a dungeon somewhere, and he's like yeah. chained up. It's like down the end of a tunnel. Yeah, down the end of a tunnel, and he's about to be persecuted for his for the affliction that is his um his need and want, you know, is and all of his desires, and he's just like going absolutely insane. The echoes of his voice um, are really cool, and then there's there you know there comes Alfred Hitchcock again, yeah. you know, more Hitchcock. Exactly. Uh, sound effects similar to the song, similar to what he employs in Sign of the Times and Housequake. Actually, it gives it a very uh, industrial sound to me. That's the only way I can explain. Yeah, it. that's a that's a good word for it. Yeah, his his vocals, but his vocals are so raw and real. His screams are so intense. You know, they're distant, but they're really intense. And the progression of notes of the keyboard motif is hardly called the progression at all. It's like, you know, and that goes on for five minutes to tell yeah, Jan's point about the track being keyboard too long. Yeah. But it, it holds the song together, you know, and at the end of the day, that and the beat and his vocals, um, and they're kind of rumbling what I believe, are, they're probably not plucked, but they sound like plucked bass sounds throughout the five minutes. And then... You know, you put the layered vocals on top of that, and it's quite an awesome oral experience, A-U-R-A-L, oral experience. The biggest comment that I have to make about this track is, I do like it. It does go on for a while, but you have to remember that in between the end of Ballad and Dorothy Parker, I've walked over to my record player, I've 
stopped it, I've flipped the side over, and I've just started up it again. And this is an entirely new experience for me as a listener. But what and a disappointing I... start to a side of an album, though. No, n- not at all. Not this at all. This would have been better at, like, the last song on a side. Uh, I don't know. So it, like, fades out with this monotonous beat. The thing is, that the, the, the fade out with Ballad of Dorothy Parker at the end, and it just kind of leaves you feeling like you've heard probably the greatest four opening songs on any record ever. And you just think, well, what's going to come next? And the one thing that he really hasn't gone into is sex. So to me, side two opens up purely with pure sex. And I'm like, oh, oh okay, yeah, that's right. I am listening to Prince from 1987 after all. So it's a really strong opening in that it's a very mechanical, very beat-focused, very vocal-focused sound. And I just, I enjoy it. So... You know um, what, if you think about it, this whole album is very beat-focused. Definitely. It is. Definitely. But, you know, anyway, side two, for me, opens up really nicely, and I think it's a, it's great programming. When it starts up after Ballad of Dorothy Parker on the CD version, it does... It doesn't flow as well. You need a bigger pause to recover from the first four songs. And again, that's why I think the sequencing is perfect on the It LP. was meant for vinyl. That's right. <laughs> I it didn't was want made to... for vinyl. Like, I still don't think they were making... Well, they were producing CDs, but I get the sense that this was made as sides to the like a vinyl project. It, it was. And, yeah. you know, I don't want to talk about it from my point of view too much because I've done enough of that I realise and also there'll be plenty of opportunities in the future and I hope to dedicate a whole episode to Vital one day but sequencing of albums has strikes me as quite important and especially Prince's albums and to that point, the sequencing on the vinyl works better than it does on the CD, in my opinion. Uh, there's a, you, you just get a different effect. And you're right, player, the, the vinyl LP, that was the format that they chose for this initial release. So it wasn't just recorded on analog equipment, but it was recorded purely to be released on analog, keeping in mind that CDs were around, so they had to master it and, and transfer it on. And it really, I think it leaves everyone lacking, but the, the sound is left lacking. This probably would have been the first album that he released on CD, I guess. I'm just trying to think. Yeah, not sure. I don't know. Because I know the first, If I Was Your Girlfriend, was the first promo CD that he ever made. So I'm guessing Sign was the first album that was officially released on CD. Yeah. There's one out. For, there's one for our listeners to... <laughs> yeah, to let's fi- see. Bit of trivia to figure out. Maybe there's one reason why it's mastered so badly for CD, because they, they just invented CD... And they hadn't figured out how to master for CD that well yet. You're completely Maybe that's why right. It sounds so horrible. You hit the nail on the head. If you listen to most albums from around that era, yeah, they, they are. They yeah. sound absolutely terrible. The low end and is Love missing. Sex, the... Love sexy's a bit better, and then uh, Batman sounds pretty good, and then it gets better yeah. from there. But yeah. yeah, it's pretty horrible. Yeah, early to mid '80s were terrible for CD recordings, which except for Whispering Jack by John Farnham. <laughs> oh God. That was the first Australian CD ever released, and it still sounds perfect. All right, let me just finish up my comment before okay, we go to John Farnham. My biggest observation is that he makes a song out of almost nothing here. In our Gold Experience review, I spoke about 319, which was incidentally about doing it, and sex, and etc. And here we go. It, on Sign of the Times, to me, is a song made out of virtually nothing. Put this in the hands of... I'm not saying someone less capable. I'm saying put just take the tracks, the raw tracks of this uh, song and, and give it to any so-called producer nowadays and tell them to create something good with it. I don't think you'd get, you'd get as succinct a song as this is. 
and as solid a song as this is. But again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say this is a masterpiece. It's a solid track. It's freaky, especially towards the end. And lastly, did anyone pick up on the um on his vocals on the whispered vocals? Yeah, I heard them. Mm. There's a lot of this happening. Come on. Come on. Yeah, come, yeah. On. come on. And then there's, do it, baby, do it, baby. <laughs> and then he finishes with, when we do it, it's so divine. And it just keeps going around and around and around. And you have to listen to it really closely. That's yeah. some freaky stuff. <laughs> so, in closing, I'm about... My pants, I'll leave my pants. <laughs> I've got to ask the obvious question, though. Is it possible this song is not about sex? Possible. But if it's not, it's really designed to, it, but... to make it look like it is. Yeah. But, you know, but he likes to do stuff like that. Yeah. He's like, here's a song which if you don't dig deep enough, you'll think it's about this, but it's actually about this. Well, that's like when interviewers ask him, oh, you know, you're always writing songs about sex. And he's like, oh, do I? And yeah. Like, uh, yeah, you kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in his own little mind, he's thinking, "Oh no, that song's about the record company." Or yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty much spelt out. That part's good. Yeah, best bit. Um, That's probably the best bit in the whole song. (laughs) 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 Okay, play it. Go for it. Well, here it is. This is where he's talking about it, and it is good. Although I, de- I didn't like it initially, and not because it's a bad track, but at the time, I think it was so forward-thinking in its production and ahead of its time and its sound that my ears wasn't ready for it. Weren't ready. Yeah. But you've got all this reverb that makes it sound big and spacey. The vocal delivery is great. It sounds really urgent to the point his voice is going to break. And later in the track, it's doubled with a really low vocal. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking that part. Yeah. The guitar solo is awesome and well placed in the in the track. The and then, sound, just the sound, the tone of that guitar sounds so good as well. Good, yeah. That's just wow. Yeah, and then interwoven through all this random is it, you know these random preset samples triggered from the instrument of choice on this album, the Fairlight. Which, if you're a regular listener of this show, you know that the Fairlight was the first sampler created here in Australia. And yeah. used by all the big 80s artists. Michael and just, Field! <laughs> <laughs> and just a quick, random, irrelevant side note. I discovered recently that my high school music teacher married Peter Vogel, the co-founder of the Fairlight Sampler. She now what? runs the business with him. I'm not insinuating I was best buds with the music teacher because clearly I wasn't. But I just thought that was a strange link to it all. Mm. But getting back to the song, yeah, it, it's all good. That that coda section that's at the end, where it's got all those sort of drum fills and stuff, that reminds me of um, When Doves Cry. And then, like, he's used that same beat in the live versions of it during that time. So there is a bit of a correlation there. It's a bit video gamey. Like, it sounds like, you know, the, the cave level in the video game. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sort of instrumental yeah. section at the end. But that's it from me. That was it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Starfish and coffee. Starfish and coffee, take it away. Who's going? Toe Jam. Oh, Starfish and coffee. It's a nice little deviation from all the hardcore songs we've had so far. Like, as we've said, all the songs so far have been really beat heavy and thick and lots of sounds and 
And so suddenly we get to this nice little acoustic-y number, but it's it's acoustic, but there's lots of strange things going on as well. Reverses, reverse drums and weird kind of samples and reverbs going all the way through. So it's a very different sounding song to everything else so far. I like the chord progression. It's very simple. It's basically six, two, five, one, which is, you know, a very, very standard chord progression would be one, six, two, five. But so he's just moved everything one uh, spot away. So I'm sure there's other songs that use this too, but it's a very nice little kitty kind of childlike chord progression. You can imagine like a kid just playing it on a piano, one handed acoustic drums for the first, like, well, fully acoustic drums, I suppose, for the first time in this album. It's very parade sounding. It sounds like it. It sort of stems off the, the sound of the parade album. Mm. And really, the, the whole song is just about setting your mind free and just, again, very throwback to the 60s and the Beatles, uh, that kind of vibe. And I like the way the song works. It's the, the last chorus comes in and you get the extra tambourine that just sort of solidifies it, gives it a bit of a cap to sort of finish it off. And uh, it's a really nice two minutes and something. Lots of interesting lyrical metaphors and visualizations, which you guys might go into a bit more, but it's a really nice little song. A great little two-minute detour. What do you think, Um, Captain? Me? Shortest song on this half of the album. It's two minutes 50, but that's that's all it needs. It it does its job. This has always been one of my favorite Prince songs. This should have been a single, I think. I reckon this would have been huge. Ah, I don't know. it's, It's poppy, but it's just... Weird enough, I reckon it would have worked. Bizarre, random combination of two words. Yeah, it's a great title. And I reckon it would have been just weird enough to work, but we'll never know. Uh, but it's got good vocals, good backing vocals. I like the backward drum sound. you got a bit of harp just here and there, just for fun. And there's a lot of strings in this. Did anyone hear the strings? Yeah, that's right. It's very low in the mix. And I haven't looked at the notes, but, you know... We can have a guess who's doing strings, or it might just be Prince on a synth, who knows. But yeah, I never noticed that before, before today. And I've heard this album and this song a zillion times. And today I hear there's strings in it, which just blew me away. And I've, uh, the, the most annoying thing about this song, I've always wondered about the fade out on this. After the last symbol, there's one other note, and it fades out really quickly. And it always made me wonder what came after that. After oh, let's have a listen i have to listen to that. Just listen to... There's yeah, that it's last, like a like, drone. Little, and yeah. then there's this... And then it just cuts out. And I'm like, where was that going? <laughs> and I always think about that every time I listen to it. I'm pretty much tied between this and the Muppets version. Because the Muppets version took the original and took elements of the original, which were sort of buried, and brought them forward. And then added some more new stuff on top of that. And I think they're both just as good as each other. Cool. I'll have to check that out. I like it, it. The whole song's very Sesame Street. It's you can tell it's influenced by that Sesame Street kind of thing, which was huge at the time. Yeah, like the Muppets and Sesame Street, and with the lyrics, I've read here and there. It's a true story. It's like some kid from school or something, or is it just totally made up? No, Susanna. It was a story that Susanna told Prince about someone at her know. school. Yeah, and it got developed into a song or something. Ah, interesting. So what are you going to say, Claire? Basically, yeah, what, what you guys have said, it's a great little nursery rhyme style story. Musically, the main two sounds that I can hear are the reverse drums and the repeated piano chords. But then you can faintly hear some of the orchestra sounds buried low in the mix and the harp sounds give it a flowing soundscape. The backing vocals are my favourite. 
the OEOs you get when yeah. Prince and Lucy open the lunchbox. It's, it's really nice. Have a listen to that during that part. The lyrics have a bit of that Dr. Seuss vibe to them as well, again, so... It's charming, it's escapism, but the story is interesting to listen to. And I also like how the song ends on the splash symbol. Really neat little song. And it sounds like such a tiny little splash symbol too, doesn't it? You imagine yeah. this old like tin, like almost CD-sized symbol. Just and the, yeah, it's just a tiny one. And I like when he brings this out on the piano melodies. Not sampler sets, piano melodies. Oh, the love sexy piano medley. Yeah. yeah great. And he gets that big smile on his face. Yeah, it's a great track. Oh, the lovely VHS. MC. Yes. Starfish and Coffee. The alarm bell definitely wakes me up and gets me into this song uh, straight away. You know, it's got the the really nice rim shot. Nice choice of chords, as you guys have talked about. The backward drum sounds so just amazingly cool. And rim shot, rim shot, rim shot. There's just rim shot throughout, and it's so simple and but yet effective. To me, it sounds like there's some semi-orchestrated parts in this song, or, or yeah, uh, there's some sort of strings in there. Yeah, or, or yeah, faintly orchestrated. I'll put it that way. But the, you know, Claire Fisher's, as far as we know, uh, played no part in it, and I don't believe that there's actually anything played on it by a by a string section. So it's probably a sample. Yeah, I reckon he just went back to some parade tracks and got mm. some unused some parts. Stuff and it's like, yeah, this will just stick in the background here. Yeah. Yeah. And and look I, pay, I, I paid for it, might as well use it. <laughs> I like the echo on the vocals. I like the nice tambourine how it's mixed in with the background vocals as well. It's a playful, cheeky, childish little song, I think and um for me it serves its purpose is more like a segue rather than a song, actually. And I think it's much needed uh, after the first five tracks, and especially with the next three tracks that are about to come up. So, yeah, that's all I've really got to say about that one. So, if that's everyone's thoughts on Starfish and Coffee, let's go into track number seven on CD, or track number three on side two vinyl, <laughs> Slow Love. Now, I just got to put it out there. Are there any actual fans of this song in the house right now? Can I surprise everyone and say yes? Okay. Wow, ballad. <laughs> Jeez. You might, you might even have yes. to take the floor after that comment. I can do that. Start it up. I get the feeling this ballad, being on this album, just gets so overshadowed by a door that people just don't even notice it. But looking only at, you know, disc one or side A and B on the vinyl, this is the standout ballad with no competition. Next to a door, I don't know. I think I'm so used to a door. But I used to skip Slow Love a lot, and I've been listening to it more and more, and I, I'm coming to think it's better. Even though I think most people think it's just an average ballad, I think it's it's up there with the door. It's an amazing ballad, and I don't even like ballads that much. Yeah, I was about to say that you'd. <laughs> but you know, it's I a know. Heart that, in there, after all. I know. <laughs> I know a door's great, but I think this is it's up there. It's up there, and everyone knows I'm more into the the pop side of things. But you know, this this is just good stuff. The lyrics. The lyrics are great, the vocals are great, the backing vocals, they're all just great. And 
most days I'll listen to this over a door. And every time I do, it just blows me away how good it is. This song's all about the vocals. The music's like secondary. There's not, well, to me, there's not that much in the music that interesting going on. Okay. It's vocals. And this again, strings all in the background. Strings, strings, strings. Yeah, I never noticed the strings until we did the Claire Fisher episode a couple of months mm. ago. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe I missed out on that. 25 years, Toe Jam, you've been listening to this. Come so on. I never realized, yeah. yeah. I heard them. I'm like, wow, there they are, and they're amazing too. They're everywhere. I don't want to say it's better than a door. I'll say, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say I prefer this to a door. It's a damn good ballad, and I wish he would play it. He's been playing a door here and there lately. Why not this? Okay, all right. Player, what are your thoughts on Slow Love? Well, I have to really be in the mood for this song because sometimes I can hear it and think, you know, this guy's the PIMP and other times I listen to it and I think it's a bit corny and I hit skip. So it really depends on the day when I'm listening to it. But the highlights for me are the jazzy guitars, the string arrangement and the horns. And I read somewhere that Eric Leeds came up with a completely different horn line and Prince didn't like them, so it got changed and re-recorded and that's what you hear on the record, which have kind of a little bit of a big band vibe to them. I think this song, like many songs on this album, come to life in the Son of the Times movie, so I like that one a bit better. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Okay, Uh, let's move on to Toe Jam. I like this ballad. It is very much a kind of typical Prince ballad, but it's certainly a good one. I like the melody, the way the melody kind of rises. and Actually, probably my favorite part of the song is just the horn lines. Uh, you know, the song is it's called Slow yeah. Love and it's delivered slowly and the chorus is slow. And But then all the horns in it are always these sort of fast bebop lines. Um, so that's really cool. All the stuff like, you know, and a few of the other ones. Really cool horn lines all the way through from Eric Leeds and, and uh, Atlanta Bliss. So if that's true player that, you know, Eric Leeds had to change them, you know, maybe it's for the better because the horn lines of this are cool. Yeah. We talked about strings, that's great. I just like the way it's exactly what it says. It's slow love and everything's sort of drawn out and there's, you know, loves in your eyes, eyes never lie. And it's like you're just waiting for each sort of phrase to move along. And I like this sort of little piano. I like the way the the rhythm, when it, I guess, what would you call it? The um, sort of the pre chorus, I guess, when you get those pianos, jink, 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 jink. And then there's. Some of them are accented with the bass. That's that's a nice little effect. I think there's some guitar in there as well. That's yeah, that it sounds like mixed guitar, in, yeah. you know, yeah. and the bass is sort of hitting these odd ones every now and then. Uh, and I guess it's sort of the six eight twelve eight sort of time signature. I agree with player. The the album version sounds to me like it's more or less a Prince performance on the drums. And there's a couple of moments where it, the drums don't sound as steady as they perhaps could be. And I think the movie version fixes that a bit with Sheila E on there. But it's a very good ballad and, you know, worthy of an album. And, yeah, it's there, Slow Love. It's a good song. It's there? It's there. <laughs> you know what's really oh, good? It that... deserves to be there. I'm not going to say it shouldn't be there, so it's good. I really like the backing vocals in, I think it's the third verse. It starts at like 2.32, and there's just some really nice backing vocals in there too. Oh, yeah. Every, every time I hear it, I'm just like, yeah, that's good. It, that just reminds me also those the horns, those couple of bends that they do. And then mm. Eric Leeds starts his solo with this big bend. It's really, you know, bordering on kind of cliche, but it's really well done. All right. Oh, I've, heard, I've, I've heard enough. Studio <laughs> genius, that's what it is. It's perfection in the studio. It certainly is perfection, Captain. I've, I've, I've heard absolutely enough about this. I'm, I'm coming out and I'm saying it right now on this show. Slow love is the most 
unappreciated ballad in Prince's discography, I think. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Adore gets everything. No, but I'm talking not just in the comparison to Adore. And then people Adore. don't even notice Slow Love. Yeah, that's on this album. I'm talking about in his entire oh, career. This is one of the finest Prince ballads, one of the finest ballads ever by any artist, in my no, opinion. This, this is very good, but there's no way it compares to, like, Insatiable or... I completely disagree with you. Really? Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> this is good. This is good. But it's, it's it not is in good. the top yeah. five. Yeah. yeah I right. could give a top, the top five a run for... The, a run for for the, for the money, I think. Um, Come on, bro, convince us. All right. Well, I actually have very little notes to go by here, and um, I did this last time when we reviewed the Gold Experience. I think there was a song. It was just so breathtaking that I couldn't come up with. You didn't have any notes, but you still managed to talk for twenty minutes about. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm not going to talk for twenty minutes about this now, but. Um, it, this is impeccable, you know. Captain said it before. It's studio genius. Um, I think this is not only an underrated song, but it's a classic. This is simply a classic. So many elements come together in a classic way. It, it's a. It's, and, and I tease the repeat the word classic so so much, but it's a classic song in in absolutely every way. From the simple piano notes that are um, combined with his voice singing the same notes you know, to start the song off uh, in tandem. Now, I, I don't know, I could have been mistaken, but has anyone at all mentioned the music box? The music box? Man, I've got one word for you guys. Vinyl. It's where it's at. Go get a record player. Get this. You, you just, you're doing yourself a disservice by not listening to it. There is a music box mixed in for the length of this song. Listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of like, um, you know, when you watch those they, like visual videos and they're like, watch this video and count this. And then you watch it and they're like, but did you notice the gorilla? And then you're like, oh, there was a gorilla in there. And then you watch back. Oh, my God, there was. <laughs> it's more like the white elephant in the room. No, but maybe not throughout the entire song, but there's a, there's, there's a music box. And I can't figure out whether he's changing the pitch, whether he's playing with the pitch, whether he's distorting it. Or whether it's and whether he's actually programming a music box, surely he's not going that far. <laughs> music box. It I'm could just be played like a, the the sound played on a keyboard. Maybe you're right. Maybe yeah. it's not a music box. I have no actual evidence or proof, but it sounds like it to me. And anyway, that's that's the I'm sound that I'm now, and I I just heard it. Now that I know what I'm listening for, it's just this tinky little thing. Yeah, and it's just it's remarkable. It's buried. It's really buried there. Yeah, but you got well. What are you listening to? CD. No, this is the vinyl. You oh, can okay. hear it, but you really got to listen. Yeah, so that, that, that's <laughs> that's one thing I thought I'd introduce. It adds an absolutely beautiful touch to the song. The suspended guitar chords that are played by Wendy, I'm assuming, are beautiful. Again, the horn arrangements are lovely. Everything's lovely and beautiful about this song. Little things like when he hits the bell during the initial chorus, that ding, or maybe it's a little finger symbol, I'm not sure. Just... Oh, it's incredible. The production and the arrangement is, is just remarkable. The orchestral arrangements by Claire Fisher are sublime, and the way that Prince uses them here really give the song more weight and more flight. It really takes off when when the the horns, you know, uh, escalate and they, and they kind of 
they move up together with the vocals and and the brass and the strings and the bass and then you've got Prince breaking it down the drums this is an undeniable jam it's sublime and his drumming is it's it's not quite in the pocket <laughs> it's but but it's it's very sensual you know it's very uh, it's the, fluid <laughs> it's, the, yeah there's a great feel there you know there's this it's just it it reeks it's with feeling it reeks of feel no drum machines here that's for sure yeah there's no precision it's feeling yeah <laughs> yeah that's right and I love the really deep cymbal sound on the drums. If you if you go back and listen to the song, just just listen to the song and focus just on the drum parts, and I think you'll understand what I mean by the deep cymbal sound. And then underneath that, there's all these staccato piano chords lightly in the background, the chugging guitar mixed in with that, and the lyrics. They just ooze sex appeal, you know. You know, even from the beginning, "Young is the night; it feels so right." Now that you're mine, let's take our time. The man it's in the very moon much is... the opposite of it, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's the same subject, but it's a completely different take on it. Yeah, and and he's showing great versatility with the theme of this song in comparison to the others. So yeah, you know, tonight is the night for making slow love, and what else? What else can you say but that? So this is great. Eric Leeds and Alana Bliss, they just take this into overdrive and. Claire Fisher and Wendy. Just think about this for a second. This song has Claire Fisher, Wendy and Lisa. It's got Prince at his peak. Eric Leeds. Eric Leeds. Alana Bliss. Great arrangement. What else do you want in music? <laughs> That's it. Those are, the, those are the key ingredients. And you've got this cool little guitar bit at like 252. Just like two or three notes, but it's so good. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. But you know what? If, if I'm being asked to make a case for how remarkable this song is, I just can't put it into words. No, I think you did a pretty good job. Just hear it, listen to it again. On vinyl. On vinyl only. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think you might see what I mean. So, there it is. This and now another presentation of MC Slomo's Vinyl Collection. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just see if he plays it at, at Australian shows. Oh, fingers crossed. So let's go into track number eight or track number four or side two. Hot thing. Play. What do you think about Hot Thing? Hot Thing had the same effect to me as it in the sense that it sounded futuristic and ahead of its time and it's really based around the beat and the spacey keyboard motif and the sax. There's a bit of cowbell in there as well during the sax solo. Heaven forbid. <laughs> there is, yeah. And then the bass sounds, like a, a keyboard bass dancing around. It's really nice. Not something I dug at the time, but it's. I, I really like this Really like this song. And he pulls this one out during the sampler set every now and again. So, good dance track. Again, like I said, ahead of its time. Yep. Told you. Oh, that was quick. One of the things I forgot to say when we were doing It was that part of the problem with It was that it's not Hot Thing. Because Hot Thing is so much better than It, but it's a similar kind of thing, if you know where I'm going. It's a similar length, sort of monotonous yeah. drum beat all the way through. But this is so much better in so many ways. Just the beat's more interesting to me. That synth line, that's really out there as well. Like, it's not a very standard sort of synth hook. And while I'm on that, 
you know, it's sort of done by this weird synth sound, but then there's once or twice throughout the song where suddenly it's changed to this really heavy, distorted guitar playing that line. Mm. And that's, yeah, keep an ear out for that because just out of nowhere, like, he changes it to a guitar. It's like, oh, cool. To me, the song's all about anticipation. You can hear that sort of fluttering all the way through. It's very skippy and it's almost like his heartbeat's kind of just waiting to, to meet this hot thing. And I love the way everything is also just sort of booms on the one. You know, it's just boom, boom on the one. That's really cool. I love the saxophone solo in this. It's so cool. It's so out there. And there's a couple of bits. I don't know whether Eric's actually played it or whether Prince has maybe gone back and sampled a little bit. Like at the end of a phrase, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but he's, you know, he's doing this crazy line. And then at the end of the phrase, the last note is played like, ramp, 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 ramp. And it's like, oh, that's, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> have a listen for that. At the, I think it's at the end of the first solo. And it's a really happy, uplifting song, Mixolydian kind of sound. And I like the way at the end it's when it sort of fades down and Prince goes, oh, no. And then Eric can, rah, 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 yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's really cool. And I love that little, you know, like two notes synth horn hook. Dun, 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 dun. It's really dun, dun, 80s. Yeah. It's so 80s, that sound. But in a the very best of the 80s. And I, I slept on this song for so long until I saw the, the video, the, um, the live video, Sign of the Times. And from that moment on, it's, I've always loved it. And there's a, uh, a moment in that video, which I just, you know, I always crack myself laughing when, you know, because the whole thing, he's trying to woo Cat and she's got this little green little tutu or something on and he runs across the stage slides between legs and grabs the tutu <laughs> and it's like that's just the classic moment you know such an uplifting moment you can imagine like you know a 14 year old boy watching that and, and creaming his pants or something because <laughs> that's such a cool moment you know he's like yeah he's got the girl he's got the tutu so. that's opening the show <laughs> and, and he kept the pants on yeah, yeah. Oh, well, he kept his pants on, but not poor cat. Sorry about that. <laughs> you know, and she like looks around like, oh, my God, what have you done? You know, it's such an awesome moment. What a cool song. Really uplifting song, I think. Okay, let's take it to the captain uh, to review Hot Thing. I, I really like the beat of this track. We said it about another song not that long ago, and it just sounds unstoppable. If you started this, I don't know how you could stop it. Once... <laughs> Once you got into it, you wouldn't want to stop it. It just goes and goes like hot thing. <laughs> Again, listening to this track reminds me what a, a sparse album this actually is. I mean, a lot of tracks, there's just there's a drum beat, a little keyboard riff and some vocals, and that's it. But this one, this picks up. Like, it builds and builds. So, by the end of the song, there's actually quite a bit going on. All these yeah. additional keys and... The one-man band thing's good, but... Some songs work better than others, and this one's one of the others that works better than, than some. And just like Toe Jam, I didn't love this song, and then I saw Sign of the Times movie, and just the whole theatrics of it, and it just totally changes the way you hear it. And then ever since then, you think it's great, and it's exactly the same. Uh, I like the little keyboard solo he does from about 425. The, one of the horn solos at the end... 4.45 to 5 minutes, there's some cool guitar. It's buried, but you can hear it. That's about all i got to say. I, okay. like, I like it. Again, like Tony Jam said, it, it's not it. It's hot thing. <laughs> A sweet, sticky thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, what, what can I add that you guys already haven't gone into? I mean, it's got that really electro-pop drum programming. The snare, in particular, sounds to me like it's been a program backwards. 
I don't know if any, if you guys heard that as well, or maybe if it, it's either semi backwards or completely backwards, backwards drums on the snare in particular. There's no real bass in this song. Anyone else pick that up? Yeah, it's just implied by the sort of synth, isn't it? Hmm. Very similar effect to when doves cry. Yeah, I mean, I can't even hear bass stabs, bass bass hits. Can't do it. You, you, yeah, you're right, Sergeant. It's it's the keys that give you the illusion that there's bass, but it's really just space. And um, the synth lines sound like, they sound to me like craft work or something, or <laughs> like late 70s, early 80s electronic music pioneers, the likes of Jean-Michel Gere or something like that. It's very, very strange, very strange keyboard part or synth part. Uh, the percussion sounds, are they timbales or something? Is Sheila E playing something? I don't know. It's cowbell. <laughs> Go and listen to it. It's woodblock or something. Yeah, it's a p- plastic cowbell or, or woodblock. No, but no, I'm talking about the sim. There's like um, it sounds like someone's hitting like a mini cymbal a lot of the time. Ah, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like a crashing thing. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. that's on a percussion set. Sounds like something Sheila E would play. Although there are actually speaking of the bass, there's a few electronic bass sounds when Eric starts blowing his horn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, maybe my my comment about no bass is not entirely true. Very, again, industrial, metallic, thick 80s production on this. But the short short horn lines are, are really tight and minimalist. And, he, and as they're playing, that, that tambourine really starts shaking up. Or the tambaraka, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> but this is... I, I'm going to go out and say it with regards to Eric Leeds playing. I think this is some of his best playing in the studio. And I don't mean from a technical point of view, but just what his particular parts add to this song you know can you imagine listening to hot thing without eric on it oh what would it be without eric on there well there you go it's just i think it it's key it's it's the cornerstone of this track and right at the end as toe jam said and i'll finish on this prid's kind of ad-libs or it sounds like he's ad-libbing what he wants eric to play on the horn and then eric doubles up and and, Mm. you know it's like a bit of a call and response i reckon that's really cool Closes off funky hot uh, thing. <laughs> exactly. I just got to say, the scream in hot thing. It's a couple of screams. Two twenty nine to two thirty nine. It distorts. Uh, it's just great stuff. And uh, going back to Eric Leeds and Prince, kind of, uh, is it a bit towards? I think in the last solo, where throughout his solo, Prince is going. That's cool. And I always wonder, like, did Prince do that as like like scatting? Yeah, like this is kind of the idea I want. Yeah. Was it he just doing it over the top of Eric for a bit of fun? Like, it's, I'd like to know that. It sounds cool either way. It's almost like they're dueling, you yeah. know, during that part. Yeah. Mm. Okay. We're at the end, folks. Track number nine, or track five, side two, vinyl edition. <laughs> <laughs> Forever in my life. All is wrong in my world. You can be right. You are my savior. You are my life. This song was declared by our listeners as being one of the top 20 greatest Prince songs of all time. I can't believe that. And it's really, it's so simple musically. It's essentially just a drum beat with the last 20 seconds also being the acoustic guitar that comes in. Um, the vocal melody 
of uh, there comes a time in every man's life really sounds like, you know, sometimes I'm right, I can be wrong, you know, like sly. It sounds like straight, you know, everyday people, like the way it's sung. It's the same sort of melody in the lyrics. Same beat as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, it's very sly. Yeah, it is very sly. Go and listen to that, everyday people, and kind of hum along forever in my life. You, yeah. You'll notice, you'll notice it. I don't think I'll ever hear this song the same again. <laughs> but the lyrics are genuine and from the heart. Like, it's it's really sort of, uh, you know, that's kind of the charm of this song, like Prince, because, you know, he very rarely sort of puts it all out there the way he does on this track. So, And I guess the overall style on this track is the backing vocal mistake that runs throughout. It just makes the track so much more interesting to listen to. And I think this is a nice little closer to the first half of this opus. You know, you know what, player, I'll follow up your quick review with another quick review i think that's exactly what it is it's a nice quick song to finish up you know the first half of the album basically the background vocals shine um and the and the main vocals shine even even more even more so just an incredibly heartfelt vocal delivery one of the highlights i think one of the great vocal deliveries in his in his career and it's cool how he sings doesn't sing in his high register, sings in his normal register for the vast majority of this song, and it gives it a really kind of a really manly gospel feel. <laughs> the interplay between the forward and the background vocals combined with the lyrics make this pretty much make this track because the beat, you know, you could substitute it with something else, I think, and it would sound equally as good. To me, and I'll close on this, this is like an, an old Negro spiritual or a gospel tune, you know, when you know it takes you back to that to that really stripped down approach, but also to a time when singing and creating this sort of music, if you will, was like a necessity, you know? It sounds like he's he needs to get his emotion out and he just puts this simple, you know, backbeat, rolls tape and then and just goes for it. Obviously the the few guitar strums at the end are played out as it fades out and give you this impression that it's just going to go on forever, a la forever in my life. So uh, with that, uh, let's get a captain to get captain's thoughts on yeah, this track. go me. I was about to say how great this song is, and then I really listened to it. And again, like half the songs on this album, what is it? There's a drum beat, some vocals, 25 seconds of guitar at the end, and that's it. That's it. That's all there is. There's nothing to this song. But I'm still going to say... It's one of his greatest songs. It's just, it's just insane. I don't, I don't know what you can say. This is again, this is one of my favorite Prince songs. And like Hot Thing, I'm 100% sure the Sign of the Times movie performance had a lot to do with how much some people love this track because the movie version is great. It's got the guitar in it. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, I don't know where you've been. The screams never really are painful. In the if movie you version. never got yeah. into this, if you never got into this song, go and watch the Sign of the Times movie. Watch this song. If you don't like this song after that, there's something wrong with you. And even the even the, the fake, you know, wiping away the tear. It's it's good stuff. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what it is about this song that makes me like it so much. Even though it's I don't know, it doesn't seem that obvious, but there's some sort of emotion that comes through. Whether it's the lyrics or just the way he sings it, it sounds... I can finally hear some total opposite to Sign of the Times, the track. You can hear emotion in his voice in this song, and I like it. But I've got to say, Susan Rogers, 
what the hell? It might exist in the vault, but probably not. But I want to hear the correct version of this song. Nah, it's part of the charm. I know, but I just want to hear the normal one. The no, right you... way, as it was originally intended. Are you it'll talking it... about the background vocals? or? Yeah, it'll yeah. make a totally different song. Mm. It would, and I want to hear that song. I love this one, but I still want yeah. to hear a, an alternate version. I agree with Player. It's, I think it's the charm. And it's and it's and it's the creative decision that that he made to stick with it that I think is really you know gives it its unique qualities. I would actually question whether it really was a mistake. I think it's like he's recorded it. This is just my guess, obviously. He's recorded it with the correct uh, vocals in the right spot, and then he's thought, or well, let's let's see what happens if we put it in a different spot. Oh yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds more realistic to me than oh, it was a mistake. Yeah, yeah I kind of get. I I might yeah. I think I get that impression too. I kind of get that maybe it was a mistake, but didn't sound good. But like yeah, the genesis of the idea, yeah. they've like re-recorded it that way to make yeah, it maybe. sound. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I thought possibly someone, anyone, might have attempted to record it the right way, but I haven't heard of anyone trying. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't be that hard. If anyone knows of anyone who's ever tried to do it, tell me because I want to hear it. I want to hear it. <laughs> But, you know, the funniest thing was, according to the, the legend of, you know, recording of this album, there seemed to be so many mistakes and errors, <laughs> yet Susan Rogers said herself, they spent more time and money on Sign of the Times than anything they'd ever done before. And yet it came out so full of errors. I think it's just, that's just comedy. Yeah, but that's why, like, most of the albums, I'm not even limiting this to Prince here I'm just talking about in general where the, the record sounds so overproduced and so perfect it's these little mistakes and stuff that makes the charm of the albums you know okay it's a mistake just leave it in there who cares that's that's what gives it its, its character when they work on something so much and they overproduce it to make it sound so perfect you know it, it kind of lose that vibe to it it's kind of like eating fast food instead of like your mum's cooking yeah. I, uh, if you knew my mum's cooking, you'd be eating <laughs> ten times a day. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like the fast food's good too, but like it's not satisfying. You know, like it's, it's not. You're eating the wrong food. Nah, come on, man. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I do, and I think you're probably right. With they could have recorded forever in my life the the right way, and then it just maybe it just sounded too boring, or you know there wasn't anything special about it, so they tried it some some other way. But actually, it wasn't, from what I read, it wasn't Susan's mistake. It was Prince's mistake. I mean, she just started the playback and he just started singing at the wrong time. I don't know. Who's going to know? Who cares? Who cares? It sounds good anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, Jam, what do you think about this song? Uh, I, I really like the actual drum beat. I think it's um, it's very simple, but it's it's really good too, just the way it sort of chugs along. And I like the way... When, it, when they do it live, they often do a bit of a medley with that drum beat and it can just sort of, you know, go on for ages and ages and ages and it never really seems repetitive. Mm. It seems, the song sounds, obviously it sounds sort of unfinished because it's really just a sketch and I often wonder if that's intentional or whether it's the fact that he started making this song and then perhaps he realised, well, maybe this is a little bit too honest and, and never really could complete the idea. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's just a thought. Either way, it's a very intriguing song. Uh, and it does seem pretty genuine. And I can imagine that this song's been done a million times on in people's weddings and, you know, wedding songs. Um, 
yeah. it's a very good song, a very interesting one, and, and the way and you know it's kind of in fo- Prince folklore now. The way it fades out with that little acoustic guitar it really just makes you want to, you know, get straight to that next side or next disc of Sign of the Times. <laughs> All right, so we're done. Are we done? Yeah. We're done. That. For, yeah. Yeah. Disc one. Tune in for disc two. Hey there, Peach and Black listeners. This is Toe Jam, and uh, here's some spam for you. Uh, as you may know, I play in a funk kind of reggae band uh, called Cheap Fakes, and our latest album, Hand Me Downs, is now available for purchase from our website, cheapfakes.com.au, or from iTunes as well. Uh, yeah, so a bit about the band. I, I play trumpet and keys and kind of co-write a lot of the horn lines and some other bits and pieces throughout it. Uh, so here's some highlights. Uh, this one's called Sleeping on the Floor. If I drive your navigator, you get me there on time. I got multicolored dreams, strange as it seems. I'm sleeping on the floor. Uh, this one's called Goon Vadoon, which was sort of inspired by Prince's All the Critics. From the first time that I saw you, I knew I had fallen for you. Tried to resist it, and now I wonder what's this white body's wallet that I'm under. Infectious rhythm through your system, this bottle of sauce that I've been given. Now I step up, I step up to you So overjoyed that I pursued you uh, This one's called Home Invasion personal favorite used to wanna and there's lots of other funky tunes that uh, you can have a listen to so yeah if you want to check it out uh, go to cheapfakes.com.au. Cheers. Thanks. See ya.